Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the extraordinary story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode, Children Will Listen, The Harbach to Miranda Lineage, Part One. In our very first episode, I described the Broadway musical as being an art and a craft that has been passed down directly from one artist to the next, generation to generation, for more than 125 years. We can literally trace the first-hand connections between composers, lyricists, book writers, directors, producers, and performers from the earliest days of the musical right up to those working on Broadway today. In this episode, we will look at one of the clearest and most significant examples of this kind of legacy chain as we explore the knowledge, understanding, and skills that were handed down directly from Otto Harbach to Oscar Hammerstein to Stephen Sondheim to Lin-Manuel Miranda. At first glance, it may seem that Harbuck's loosely constructed musical comedies and operettas would have little relationship to Rodgers and Hammerstein's tightly woven, story-driven musical plays, and that Sondheim's edgy, ironic, sardonic musicals would have nothing to do with the open-hearted Hammerstein shows that came before him or with Lin-Manuel's hip-hop-influenced work that followed. But a closer look reveals a very direct influence. Together, the combined works of these four musical theater giants encompasses virtually the entire history of the American musical theater. Today, we're going to explore that deep connection between these four masters of the musical. Once again, my friend and esteemed colleague Albert Evans is here with me to help tell this story. So Albert, who exactly was Otto Harbach? Well, Otto Harbach wrote the book and or the lyrics for a really incredible 45 Broadway musicals. And you probably don't know his name, but if you have ever heard the song Smoke Gets In Your Eyes, you have experienced his talent for writing lyrics. They ask me how I knew 
my true love was true. I, of course, replied, something here inside cannot be denied. They said someday you'll find. All who love are blind. When your heart's on fire, you must realize smoke gets in your eyes. He was born in 1873, the son of Danish immigrants. He grew up in Salt Lake City, where his parents worked on a farm, and joined and then left the Mormon church. His family was very poor, but somehow Otto worked his way through college. He graduated from Knox College in Illinois, and then received a Master's of English at Whitman College in Washington State. Meanwhile, in 1895, in New York, Oscar Hammerstein II was being born into a theatrical dynasty. His father, Willie, was one of America's most successful theater managers. He ran Hammerstein's Victoria Theater, the most popular vaudeville house in New York at that time. His brother, Arthur, was a successful producer of musical comedies and operettas. Both were the sons of the German-Jewish immigrant Oscar Hammerstein I, a flamboyant showman whose name and face were continually in the public eye as he made and lost fortunes, built 12 theaters, ran several opera companies, and conducted well-publicized theatrical feuds. He also had a mad passion for litigation and was always involved in some legal action or another, and at one point he had 40 separate lawsuits all going at the same time. Young Oscar knew almost nothing of all this while growing up in a comfortable but sheltered environment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. He was, in fact, purposely kept away from theaters and show people because his father, Willie, though immensely successful, hated the theater. He was only in it because it was the family business. But then in his teens, Oscar discovered what his father and uncle did for a living, and like his grandfather, he fell hopelessly in love. It was around this time that Otto Harbach came to New York with the intent of getting a Ph.D. from Columbia University. But when failing eyesight made reading painful, he dropped out to take a job in advertising. Then in 1906, he saw George M. Cohan's show, 45 Minutes from Broadway, and instantly became fascinated by the possibilities of musical theater. Two years later, he wrote the lyrics for a Broadway musical called Three Twins that introduced one of the most popular songs of the era, Cuddle Up a Little Closer. Cuddle up a little closer, love mine. Cuddle up and be my little clinging vine. Like to feel your cheeks so rosy. Like to make you comfy, cozy, cause I love from head to toesy, love Over the next 12 years, Otto would work on 17 Broadway musicals. Most of them were hits, and many of them were produced by Oscar's uncle, 
Arthur Hammerstein. As Oscar's passion for theater deepened, his father grew very concerned, and on his deathbed he made Oscar swear to become a lawyer and never, ever go into the theater. Three years later, in 1912, Hammerstein made good on this promise and entered the Columbia University School of Law. But ironically, it was at Columbia that he became permanently hooked on the theater when he joined the Columbia University Players and performed each year in their annual varsity show. In 1917, he was asked to write the varsity show entitled Home James, his first book for a musical, and he also played the comic lead. The next year, when America joined the First World War, Hammerstein was eager to enlist, but was turned down because he was classified as underweight. Despondent, he left Columbia, and after much effort, finally convinced Uncle Arthur to take him into the family business. He began first as a gopher, what we would call an intern today. He would later write, I was an office boy and play reader by day, stage manager by night, and an eager kibitzer at the rehearsals of new shows. He was soon given the chance to try his hand at contributing lyrics to some of the musicals his uncle was producing, and then his uncle decided to team him up with the more experienced Otto Harbach so that he could really learn his craft. Although he was 22 years older than Oscar, Harbach was more than willing to take him on as a sort of junior partner. As Todd Purdom writes in his recent book, Something Wonderful, it was a fateful collaboration. Harbach was a kind and generous mentor, and he insisted that Oscar, whose instinct was to write very quickly, slow down and think seriously about his goals before putting words to paper. He likened the construction of a musical play to building a fire in which all the elements, the logs, kindling, matches, a good flue, everything had to come together. Inspired by Harburg, Hammerstein began to envision a kind of show in which the songs would be a more integral part of the story, and in which both the songs and the story would more meaningfully express human life and emotion. This intention was realized only haltingly and infrequently at first, but eventually this idea would change the structure and indeed the very nature of the American musical. Harbach and Hammerstein would collaborate on the book and lyrics for 10 musicals and operettas, including the smash hits Rosemary, Sunny, and The Desert Song, working with many composers of varying styles, such as Rudolf Frimmel, Vincent Humans, Sigmund Romberg, and Jerome Kern. Then it was time for Hammerstein to go off on his own. In 1927, he and Jerome Kern decided to adapt Edna Ferber's best-selling novel, Showboat, for the musical stage. Many of his colleagues thought this was a crazy idea. After all, Ferber's plot dealt not just with failed marriage, gambling addiction, and alcoholism, but most significantly, the center of the story revolves around issues of racial prejudice and miscegenation, none of which had ever been dramatized on the musical stage but Hammerstein and Kern had vision and courage and did not shy away from the novel's dramatic themes and events. The result was one of the most beautiful, entertaining, and tune-filled musicals of all time. It is a show that still delights, moves, and amazes us more than 90 years after it was first performed. Perhaps more importantly, it demonstrated how musicals could embrace important subject matter, especially issues of race and equality, which from that point on would become the principal subject matter of the American musical. This may surprise you, but I can count more than 30 hit musicals that have issues of race at the center of their story. Actually, I suppose it shouldn't surprise us. 
the struggle for racial and ethnic equality, and the battle against bigotry and intolerance have been major issues in this country from colonial times right up to this week. And since the musical is our great original American art form, perhaps it is only natural that it would so often reflect and illuminate this aspect of our culture. Three years after the premiere of Showboat, Stephen Sondheim was born on March 22, 1930. Strangely enough, he shares the same birth date as Andrew Lloyd Webber, born in 1948. Stephen was the only child of a prosperous German-Jewish garment manufacturer named Herbert and his designer wife known to all as Foxy. Sondheim's father would frequently entertain out-of-town buyers by taking them to see the latest Broadway musicals. And since he was also an accomplished amateur musician, he was able to return home and play the hit tunes from all of those shows from memory on the family's grand piano to his son's great delight. Among the first Broadway musicals that young Sondheim remembers being taken to were Rodgers and Hart's The Boys from Syracuse in 1938 and Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein's Very Warm for May, 1939. Though not a success, Very Warm for May introduced a classic ballad, which Sondheim has said was one of the songs that inspired him to want to become a composer. The song was called All the Things You Are. makes the lonely winter seem long. You are the breathless hush of evening that trembles on the brink of a lovely song. You are the Just two years later, Hammerstein himself would become an integral part of young Sondheim's life. On a summer's day in 1941, a friend of Sondheim's mother, Dorothy Hammerstein, arrived for a visit with her 10-year-old son Jimmy in tow. An instant friendship was established between the two boys, and by the end of that first visit, they informed their mothers that Steve would be coming to spend the weekend at the Hammerstein summer place in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Sondheim would end up staying the rest of the summer there and soon became more a part of the Hammerstein family than his own. Jimmy's father was, of course, Oscar Hammerstein II. He was 46 years old at the time, and he had not had a hit show in almost 10 years. He was, however, just beginning what would become his historic collaboration with Richard Rogers. Sondheim says that he osmosed into the Hammerstein household. They were my surrogate family. My mother was a difficult lady, and I had a difficult time with her. This seems to be something of an understatement. Sondheim's mother was, in the words of Jimmy Hammerstein, the worst mother I have ever seen. He goes on to say that 
Steve adopted us, and if you prized your mental health, it was a sensible emotional position to take. Dad always had time to talk to Steve. As a child, Sondheim was full of rage and pain and anger, but Hammerstein seemed to be able to bypass that and to get to some other place with him. His relationship with Oscar Hammerstein would come to shape and inspire Sondheim's life. He said, I wrote for the theater in order to be like Oscar. I have no doubt that if Oscar had been an archaeologist, I would have become an archaeologist. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and even here in Seattle, warmer, sunnier days are on their way. So it's time to fuel up for them and meet your wellness goals with Factor's No Prep, No Mess Meals. Thanks to Factor's menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, or my favorite, Vegetarian, Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. So what are you waiting for? Kickstart that new healthy routine with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week so you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can crush those wellness goals with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make every day delicious from breakfast to dessert with restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. With no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. With Factor, you enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle, choosing from six menu preferences that help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code BN50 at factormeals.com BN50 as in Broadway Nation 50, and you'll get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Do it today! Meanwhile, Hammerstein made a tremendous comeback with the groundbreaking Oklahoma, his first collaboration with Richard Rogers. What was it about Oklahoma that made it so revolutionary? When Rodgers and Hammerstein decided to adapt a moderately successful little play called Green Grow the Lilacs, they didn't set out to break all the rules or throw out all the conventions of the musical comedy. They just allowed the source material and subject matter to dictate the ways in which they would musicalize the story. If that meant instead of bringing the curtain up on a lively chorus song and dance number, as was typical of the time, but instead have the curtain reveal just one middle-aged farm woman churning butter as a cowhand begins to sing Oh What a Beautiful Morning offstage and a cappella, then so be it. If it meant the chorus girls would not even enter until 40 minutes into the play, that was okay too. If it meant including the violent death of one of the major characters, practically unheard of in musicals of the day, then that is what they would do. Because of their uncompromising approach, the show had tremendous trouble raising money for production. Nobody thought it would work. When producer Billy Rose was approached to invest money, he dismissed the show with the now classic line, no gags, no girls, no chance. Very few people have ever been proven so completely wrong.
From the very first performance in New Haven of Away We Go, as it was called at the time, it was clear that the creators were onto something special. At the second pre-Broadway stop in Boston, several changes were made. One song was cut, and the show was given a new title when another song was changed from a duet into a big, rousing chorus number. Oklahoma played 2,243 performances, more than twice as long as any previous Broadway musical, and touring productions would crisscross America for the next 10 years. The DECA original cast recording, the first complete recording of a musical, sold over a million copies, and it has never gone out of print. And because of the popularity of the cast album, millions of people who never got to see the show in a theater still were able to experience the story and the characters and to fall in love with the show. Because of this overwhelming success, it was understood that creators of musicals would now need to emulate this new kind of musical. Even musical comedies would from that point on have to integrate all of their elements and use the songs to help tell the story. Around the same time, during his sophomore year at a prep school called the George School, Sondheim wrote his first musical, and it was entitled By George. Like so many school shows, it was a satire of campus life. Sondheim thought the show was pretty terrific, and with his brain dancing with visions of being the first 15-year-old to have a show on Broadway, he asked Hammerstein to read it, as if it were just a musical that crossed your desk as a producer. As Martin Gottfried related the story in his 1993 book about Stephen Sondheim, the next morning Hammerstein telephoned and suggested that the youngster come over to hear his assessment. Now you really want me to treat this as if it were by somebody that I don't know. Yes, please, the boy urged. Well, in that case, Hammerstein said, it's the worst thing I ever read in my life. Tears began to form in the adolescent's eyes. I didn't say it wasn't talented, Hammerstein hastily added. I said it was terrible. And if you want to know why it's terrible, I'll tell you. With that, the famous Broadway lyricist and librettist who had written Showboat and Oklahoma analyzed every aspect of By George, from the first stage direction to the finale. And that afternoon would change Stephen Sondheim's life. But if you want to hear the rest of the story, you'll have to join me for my next podcast, where the legacy chain of the Broadway musical will continue on its direct path from Harbach to Hammerstein to Sondheim to Lin-Manuel Miranda. Careful the things you say, children will listen. Careful the things you do, children will sing and learn. Children will 
Broadway Nation is produced and written by me, David Armstrong. This episode was co-hosted and co-written by the indispensable Albert Evans. Thanks to everyone at 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and especially everyone at the Broadway Podcast Network. Wishes our children. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.